Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Please vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. If you go to BritishPodcastAwards.com, you will see that we are top 20 as voted by the listeners. But if you vote for us, we could be number one. And that would be nice. It'd be nice for feminism to win something. I mean, it didn't win the American election. Let's hope it wins the British Podcast Awards. I'm a feminist, but I cried once at a story on the radio really hard, really sobbingly hard, and then it turned out to be an advert for Barclays. (laughs) (laughs) It was about a man called Dave who had finally got a loan to renovate his pub. Very moving. (laughs) Wonder how he's doing. I'm a feminist, but once, when my friend told me he fancied librarians because they were all buttoned up, I got into his bed when he was out and had his brother take a series of photos of me dressed up as a librarian, (laughs) buttoned up to increasingly unbuttoned up, (laughs) and then sent them to him in the post in the days when you had to have them developed as snappy snaps. (laughs) Fit. It was a long time ago. I'm a feminist, but when I broke down twice in an hour on the M25 and I was waiting to be rescued, I was positively elated when the AA telephone operator told me that because I was a woman alone, I was their highest priority and that they'd be there in ten minutes. My karmic retribution was they didn't arrive for three hours. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but for the first time in my life, a little bit of me wants to be enough of a celebrity to be asked by the style section of a Sunday supplement 
what my can't-live-without-beauty products are, because for the first time in my life, I have some. <laughs> I am a feminist, but as a toddler, I was caught having dug up my granddad's much-loved and carefully-tended vegetable patch. And um, when asked why, I apparently said I was looking for somewhere to grow a willy. Feminism. <laughs> well, it depends why. Maybe you thought you could farm them and then you wouldn't need men anymore. <laughs> oh, I think I wanted a pecker. Did you? Yeah. I don't think I necessarily wanted to be a boy. I mean, I did, I'd wear, like, trunks and once on the beach, a chap came over. I don't know why he was talking to us, but apparently when he asked what my name is, I said Tom. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, see, now, that would be... Like, now we're trying to raise our children to be not gender-binary. So children all the time are doing these things. I read something brilliant on the internet the other day that a little boy had been wearing, like, a frozen dress, like a princess dress. And uh, this woman at a party said to him, you shouldn't be wearing that. Do you want people to think you're a princess? He said, I'm not a princess. I'm a king wearing a dress. (laughs) Sweet! Dude. Yeah, so you mean... I'm a feminist... But now I really want to tell you my must-have beauty products. <laughs> I really want to hear them. Which are Nux Dry Oil with Golden Shimmer. Nuts. Nux, N-U-X-E. Nuts, like the Lads Mag. No! <laughs> Lads Mag Dry Oil. Ooh. Imagine what that's Where do you put for. that, then? Where do you put Nux Dry oh, Oil? all over your body. I've run out at the moment. I feel my skin's dry. Dry oil's an oxymoron. No, I know, but it works. It's basically very, it's oil, but it immediately dries, so you've not got that oily feeling on your skin. I'm going to buy you some as a present, and you are going to be transformed. But do you want the golden shimmer? Because it makes you look a little bronze and fabulous. Do you don't have to have the golden shimmer? She doesn't want the golden shimmer. The bronze and fabulous. Okay, I'm sending you just without the bronze and fabulous. Okay. You can buy it either way. Nux Dry Oil with Golden Shimmer, Chanel Volume Mascara, a Bargy Hydrate Luxe Cream. Hang on, Onion Bargy. <laughs> Not Onion Bargy. Onion <laughs> Bargy, Hydrate Luxe Cream, and uh, a Clinique Tinted Lip Balm, and a MAC Flat Makeup just, Is this brush. three items you no. can't live without? No, there's six here. Oh. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I am not admitting to the pro-retinol youth serum because I feel like that's too much it's not, it's not right is it you can't you, anything that says youth serum it's not right because it's no. implying that we should be younger and we, why should we be fucking younger I do use it <laughs> live from King's Place in London the Spontaneous Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Jessica Foster Q and tonight's special guest Sadia Asmat talking about what not to wear. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Maddie, did you get an alcoholic beverage? I got a Diet Coke. You got a Diet Coke? Oh, have, so uh, you are not drinking, even though it's your 18th birthday? It's not actually my 18th birthday. It's on Sunday. <laughs> People feel lied to at the back there, don't they? Furious. We have... We need answers! Oh, it's not your 18th yet, so you can't legally have a drink till Sunday? Well, not legally. <laughs> I will buy you one and secretly smuggle it to you. I feel it's all going to be fine. Uh, so today we're talking about uh, what not to wear. Does anyone remember the Trini and Susanna show of the same name? Yes. Does anyone else have all the books, though? Because I've got all the books. Like, every year at Christmas. Oh, I love Trini and Susanna. Oh, my God, I loved them. Tits, 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 tits. Yeah, yeah. Grabbing like your tits, tits yeah, absolutely. Ooh, feel of those tits. No, before I discovered feminism, I had Trini and Susanna. And that was... It's own special and lovely place to be. That should be a whole other episode, you know. Before I discovered feminism... I I had Trini and Susanna. Do you know what I loved about Trini and Susanna? And many people still think, oh, no, they were bad because they were coming and telling women that they would look better in this or that. But as slight posh and bullying as they were, they were always immensely, immensely embraceable of women's bodies. They'd be very rude about your wardrobe, but they would be, fuck me, would they love whatever you had underneath your clothes. If it was tits... 
if it was tits. But even if it wasn't, if someone was totally flat-chested, they'd go, look at you. You know, you could be on a catwalk. Still You're straight tits. up and down. Yeah. It's true. They did love tits. It's true. They grab women's tits a lot. Now, Just, there'd yeah. be an issue of consent, but it was the 90s. <laughs> it was the 90s. Consent hadn't been invented. And um, no matter what size or shape or anything anybody was, they would genuinely find that person incredibly beautiful. And they were sort of the beginning of body positivity for me. But they did then force you... They forced uh, everyone to look like the editor of Vogue. I was going to say, that it was a very homogenous look that everybody ended up with. Everybody ended up with a long silver scarf. And they were both, yeah. <laughs> and a, they a wide pashmina. So we're talking about what not to wear tonight, and we're extending that into much less amusing uh, subjects than uh, Trini and Susanna forcing everyone into an A-line skirt, and into areas like, for example, in some parts of the world now, very close to home, women are being forced to dress or undress, and we're going to be talking about that. Let's do our challenges really quickly, because I really okay. want to bring on our guest, because yeah, she knows yeah, yeah. way more about this than I do. Um, should I go first? Or yeah, you, do you, should I go first? Do, yeah, so um, I don't pay much attention to what I wear, and I wanted to know really where I think society draws a line in the least effort you can make and from kind of media it looks like that lady that wore some gym jams to Tesco's and they refused to serve her that seemed to be where the line was drawn so I took my son to nursery in my pyjamas and how did that go what was the response I was terrified for days before it and after I messaged you that I was thinking of doing it I tried to delete that Um, and then actually the act itself wasn't that bad no one said anything (laughs) and I think that perhaps the particular gym jams are smarter than some of the other clothes I've taken in there also I should say cheated in the sense that I took them in halfway through the day so it wasn't like I was fully surrounded by other parents it was just the staff there the babies very progressive didn't care Um, but the staff I think not even any weird looks like it was just yeah and it was actually once I was out of there again that I was like oh and I jogged a bit home Mm. it's interesting so much of it is is our (laughs) perception of how we perceive other people yeah. judging us and no one else really cares. No. Or notices. People are caught up in their stuff. Their They're own busy. thing. Yeah. I really wanted the experience of covering because I knew we were going to talk about covering with Sardia. But I didn't want to culturally appropriate. I didn't want to go out in a hijab or anything like that. And I thought, well, what's the same sort of thing from my culture? And being raised as a Christian, I thought a nun is the same sort of thing. Ooh, and then, wow. I thought, then I thought, okay, what if I went out in a nun's habit? And then I went online and I found that was also appropriation to some people because someone else was asking about it. And it was a really weird request on the internet. It was someone saying, I want to be a nun. My therapist said, just get it out of your system where it happens. <laughs> so, and then people had come on and said, this is a very holy thing. You can't just get a habit. They have to be sewn, especially for you. You're sewn into them, apparently. And so, not permanently but they really make them for you you can't just get one off ebay and it's very sacred and you shouldn't do that so i thought okay fair enough what i will do is create my own nun's habit and make sure it doesn't quite represent any order so i'm not stepping on anyone's religious beliefs so i created my own holy order for the purposes and made a sort of makeshift nun's habit and then went out onto the street and I did feel conspicuous, um, I have to say. People did look. They didn't stare, but they did kind of... They did look. I did feel a bit self-conscious, and I did feel desexualized, and all of those things. But the most interesting thing was that so many more people asked me for directions. Seriously? Yeah. They sort of stopped... They, I think you, you look, you look trustworthy. trustworthy. And what I found was, when I gave them directions, I put on a different voice. <laughs> I was lower and slower and more pausy. It was another self. It's a bit like if you speak another language, and you haven't pers- do you, does anyone speak another language and have a personality in that language like whenever I speak Japanese I become so much more expressive and you know so sort of and my eyes come and I do this sort of like what you know like where's this coming from but it's just the way if you hang around with Japanese people that's what they do and I'm a lot angrier when I speak in sign language um, yeah, a, lot, a lot of my deaf friends are like just really expressive and they get quite you know pissed off like just telling a story about how they got caught in the rain yeah. and I end up with that face you know sort of you know, oh yeah you know and I think it was a bit like that I ended up with a bit of a nun's personality <laughs> 
do you think that's to do with feeling a little bit like you're playing a part or like you know playing dress up like playing I'm a character? I'm sure. But there was something for me about being entirely covered and covering yeah. down to my wrists. Right. That did have a bit of a different effect on me. But you did know, you feel safer. No, I don't no. think I felt safer. Do you think? I suppose it's impossible to know. But if the over time to if it if it was if I did it every day I'm sure feeling yeah I'm sure by Wednesday week (laughs) I just think it was normal but I am also not experiencing what someone in a hijab will experience in any way and I knew that and it's one of the reasons I didn't want to do it I didn't want to mix it up uh, with anything like that or be in any way insulting or you know saying oh well I'm going to be you for the day because that's very much not okay but I just did want to experience being covered and whether that would make me feel different Jess Foster Q. I have a baby and I'm lucky enough to live somewhere where they're at my local cinema. They do a special screening where you're allowed to take the baby. So the film is sort of equally ruined for everyone. (laughs) Um, But I was very grateful for that. I really like going to the pictures. And I actually, in those sort of early months, was able to go more than I ever was normally. Uh, And it was brilliant. And it meant that at 19 days old, my son saw his first ever film, Suffragette. So on the one hand, he's already a brilliant feminist, but on the other, he did make me have my tits out for the whole thing. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about knocker feeding um, because that is uh, a thing where sometimes I feel like people are asked to cover up or not. I'm not talking about breastfeeding in any sort of braggy way. I think that the pressure on women to breastfeed is now gone beyond helpful to the point where there's so many women feeling like disastrous failures and it's not helpful. Also, I just think you get people that have this kind of reverence for it. You get people who say, I just find it really magical. Um, (laughs) And when I hear those um, women, I think, well, she just hasn't tried any of the really good drugs. Um, (laughs) um, But before I had the kid, I knew I wanted to try and breastfeed, and I didn't know how shy I'd be about feeding in public. Turns out, not at all! Um, But I didn't know that, and my friend said, well, do you want to borrow my cape? I went, you're what? (laughs) She said, cape. Some people call it a cloak. I went, a pardon? (laughs) Do you mean a cape that you just get to wear in the day? (laughs) Not just for the special Game of Thrones night. (laughs) Or as I call it, Wednesdays. And she said, yeah. So I thought, fabulous. I went, yes, please. I shouted, fabulous, a cape, yes. Um, But then I had the baby, forgot I had it. And was regularly going to my local calves and no one batted an eyelid. It turned out, luckily for me, that where I live, most people were sensible enough to prefer there to be a shard of tit out in the corner than a screaming child. Um... Uh, And then one day I thought, ah, I'm seeing that friend, I'll give it back. And then I thought, no, it sort of goes against all of my sort of hatred of waste to have borrowed it then, I need to try it. So I went to my local cafe and I popped the cape on. I don't know if this one happened to be sort of white with sort of the odd baby blue stripe. (laughs) And and I popped it on and... um, For the first and only time since having the kid, I did feel self-conscious. I did feel like everyone in there was looking at me and was whispering about me, because they were. (laughs) Because everyone in there was thinking, why is that Brit come dressed as a ghost? I do think there's a massive amount of work to still be done about perceptions of breastfeeding in public and whether or not people should cover up. I blame for that, not people, actually. I blame advertising for thinking that we constantly need to have the horn to be able to buy anything. And I just don't think we do. I th- don't get me wrong, I do think that, that norks are fit. I think they're gorgeous. Um, And I don't have an issue with them being sexualised per se. But I don't think that a tit is a sexy thing when it is feeding a kid. Uh, I think we should be capable and evolved enough to see things as doing different things when they're performing different functions. But unfortunately, advertising world and manufacturer of clothes for women can't see this yet. And if you go to buy breastfeeding clothes, for example, on eBay or online, and 
bear in mind, these aren't sexy items of clothing. <laughs> these tend to be sort of large floaty tops with a flap or a hatch. <laughs> and sometimes an inconspicuous side zip. <laughs> They are never, ever being modelled by someone who is feeding a kid, ever. They are always being modelled by someone who is tiny and generally posing in a... This is hard to do for audio, but posing in a coquettish way. <laughs> Bum out, boobies out. <laughs> and sort of handling the hatch, as if to say, want to sneaky peek my leaky nip-nip? <laughs> I just think that is fucking absurd. That is absurd. Bums are gorgeous. Bums are very beautiful, sexy, gorgeous things. Not when they're having a shit. <laughs> no one's into that, are they? Apart from, I assume, John McCrurick. <laughs> Libelous, perhaps. Um, but you don't see adverts, do you? All over the internet for toilet paper with people going, mmm. <laughs> Just dangling, wafting a bit sexily around their bum hole. So there's work to be done. I think there's work to be done. And I think I'm a, I'm a scruffy person. I think I've always... I feel comfy scruffy. And I've always had a issue, I think, with being told what to wear. In the 80s, when I was growing up, I was frequently called a tomboy, and I didn't care. And I was told when I was five I was going to be my mum's best friend's um, bridesmaid and that I would have to wear a dress. And I was furious. I was five and I was furious. And um, if it gives you an idea of how attentive my parents were, this, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I wouldn't be a stand-up if they were attentive. Um, I, I sat, while they both watched television, I sat under a desk in our lounge. And I mean, it's incidental, but I did eat an entire box of Cadbury's Dairy Milk miniatures. <laughs> Bring them back. No one noticed. And then cut all my hair off. I had really long hair and I cut it all off just with massive, great big stationery like normal paper scissors and just cut it all off until and my mum, when she did notice, cried. And it was just tufts and she was like, it's, she just kept saying, it's just tufts, it's just tufts. I wanted to look like a boy at school called Dan Wills. If you still live in Swanage, Dorset, Dan, and you listen to the guilty feminist. I wanted to look like you. Um, and my mum was crying and my dad was... I can't remember his reaction, probably. Annoyingly, for mum, indifferent. But they, they were both... They were really upset and there was this terrible tension. And I remember this five-year-old sinking feeling. I've done something awful. It, I later... I've seen photos of the wedding. I was still allowed to be the bridesmaid, but they put a floral arrangement upon my head. <laughs> So I've actually, there's no photographic evidence of the tufts. But I remember after all of this, feeling that awful thing of like, I've done so, I've really upset these people I need and I love. I remember going upstairs and looking in the mirror going, I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Please welcome Deborah Francis-White. <laughs> So I was doing stand-up comedy and I got invited into a big company in the city to talk to women there about confidence and I went and did more and more and more of those until one day some women took me aside and they said, yes, we think your message is exactly what is needed right now to get more women into senior positions and we want you to get more work. I was like, it was great, great, great. And they went, the thing is, how do we put this nicely? You look like you dress off the high street. <laughs> And I, said, and I said, yeah, no, I do, I do. That'll be why. <laughs> they went, we want you to get more work and you need to look like you don't need the money. And they said, we're going to take you shopping. And I said, great, where are we going shopping? Thinking Oxford Street on a Saturday morning. Wrong. They said, 6.30 p.m. next Wednesday night, come to this street in Mayfair. There is a doorbell. <laughs> Ring on the doorbell. Someone will come down and let you in. I was like, oh my God, it's so mysterious. I imagined it was like a cult or something. So I got there, rang on the doorbell, someone came down, I got taken upstairs, and someone put a glass of champagne into my hand. And they said, drink this. Now the first thing you need to know about studios that sell clothes to professional women 
is the first thing they do is to get you to drink so much you forget how much money you've got. <laughs> After I drank this, I couldn't remember at all how much money was in my bank account. I started looking through clothes and I picked out a black dress, the sort of black dress that I would normally wear, and the lady went, no, 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 you don't pick the clothes. They put me into a cubicle with a little curtain around and they said, explain your needs and we will bring the clothes to you. <laughs> And I said, oh, well, gosh, um, oh, oh, uh, I need in the corporate world to look corporate enough that they think, yes, you understand our world, but not so corporate that they think I've got nothing to bring. Um, so th she was like, okay, okay, I've understood. And then my friend Bridget, who was also there, she was one of the ladies that had taken me. She was like six foot four, ramrod slim blonde. And the lady looked her up and down and she said, you're very slim, but because of your height, you will need a size 12. And Bridget said, yeah. And I said, um, for me, me too, any, any sizings are a height-based issue. <laughs> so she went off and she came back and she gave Bridget some, you know, beautiful sheath that, you know, it was, it, was, it was sort of a bit of silk that just, it wasn't really in a garment, it was more of a wafty bit of silk that you should just waft over yourself. And if you were as tall and as slim as that, you don't even need armholes, I don't think. It's just sort of, you just stand there and someone drapes you in a waft of silk and then you say, oh yes, thank you very much, here's a thousand pounds, and you leave. But the lady came back and she said, right, I've brought you this. I am not making this up. It was a strapless, boned, python print, size eight, silk dress. And I looked at her and said, I think you've misunderstood the brief. And she went, no, 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 put it on. And I went, I, I'm, not gonna I'm not size eight, I'm not gonna fit into it. She said, put it on. I said, but if I rip it, I can't pay for it because I don't know. She said, put it on, I promise you, it is correct for your needs. And I was like, but it isn't, because I can't go into a strapless, and I, don't, I, I won't be able to go to a corporate. She'll put it on, I promise you. It is correct for your needs, and when you see it, you will buy it. Because I know what you want to wear more than you know what you want to wear. And there was something about her eyes, a combination of that and the Python print that just said, trust in me. So I, I sort of shimmied into it and it had sort of these bones and this ruching at the back and somehow magically this size eight dress fit me and I pulled it up and just before I could look in a mirror, her arm came in and she thrust in a navy pinstriped jacket and I put it over the python print strapless silk waft and I did it up and then she pulled the curtain back and showed me a mirror of myself in which I somehow magically looked like a very special combination of comedian who you would trust in a corporate situation. <laughs> and somehow I paid her for that garment because I thought, this day will never come again when I fit into a size eight strapless python silk dress and look good in it. The woman was absolutely right. I drank the rest of the bottle of champagne and she had truly known what not to wear. Thank you very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I think it's probably time uh, that we bring on our very special guest, a fantastic comedian, a wonderful writer, an incredibly insightful person. Please put your hands together and make exciting hooray noises for Sadia Azmat. <laughs> So you cover. I do. And you always cover. So I met Sadia. Should I tell our origin story? Yeah. I met Sadia because I did a gig at Coots and they have a big drive to get more women active in all sorts of ways. And they put me on the front of the magazine. Um, I was their cover girl, Coots cover girl, <laughs> making all of my left wing friends incredibly happy. I obviously. <laughs> anyway, I got a call from the Coots head office saying one of our staff members has seen that we had a comedian in and wants to do comedy, and would you meet her? And it's because it's Coots, which is a very, if you don't know it, is a very, very posh English bank where the Queen banks. So I imagine some girl called Charlotte, who had done Footlights, was going to say, I'm doing hedge funds at the moment, but I would like to do a little bit of comedy and keep my hand in. But Sadia turned up, and with all of this comedy that she'd been typing up since she was, like, 15, and <laughs> she said, I want to do stand-up, but I don't know how to do it. Like, I, do I just walk into a comedy club and do it? And I felt like, for you, that was like me just turning up at the Royal Shakespeare Company and going, I'd like to play Juliet. <laughs> it, was, Brilliant. it was really cool. And Deborah booked my first gig within two weeks, so... Yeah, it's been fun. And then she just nailed that gig. And then since has been a huge rising star in comedy. I've barely Aww. done anything since that time. But you've always covered since I've known you. Yes. When did you start covering? I started when I was 19. And what made you start? Did your mother cover? No, no one in my family covers. I didn't really think about it. It was more a feeling. Like I felt that it was something I should do. It was a time where it wasn't actually very commonplace. So I think maybe to a degree it was like a piercing or a tattoo for me. There was a lot of halal food becoming popularised and Islamic banking was coming in. So it kind of felt just a bit cosmopolitan as well. Um, and it wasn't like what it is now. What? <laughs> Interesting that you say that. What is it now? Well, now it's like if you have an Islamic bank account, people like monitor it to see if you're like funding terrorism. And if you eat at halal foods, you're looked at suspiciously. Obviously, now this little veil on my head, it causes so much you know, furor and in the news it causes so much trouble. If you go on holiday, if you go to France, you shouldn't be wearing it. But if you go to Saudi Arabia, you have to wear it or you could get arrested. But if you wear it in Paris, then you could be fined. So it's like you have to have a dress code for every holiday you go to. So I don't go out much, like I don't travel. It's like a bit, it takes the fun out of it, right? Yeah. How many countries have some kind of restriction either way at how much skin you can show or must show? Loads of countries. So, like, even Muslim countries are confused, which is quite funny, right? Um, <laughs> like, Turkey, which is a 95% Muslim-majority country, only recently lifted their ban on the veil. And what? They, and the rebels in Turkey are still trying to fight to bring it back. And it's all men kind of deciding how women should dress. In some parts of Switzerland, women who cover can be fined £6,500 I can't afford to be free. I can't, like, it's really expensive, right? So I'm just not going to go there and I'll just buy the Swiss chocolate from Amazon. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you were younger and you did want to cover... Was there anything about it that was because you were a young Muslim woman that you felt that you needed to cover? Was it purely fashion and sort of feeling like that was part of being a cosmopolitan young Muslim British woman? Or was there more to it? I think, to be honest, there was a part of me wanting to be a bit like... I just wanted to be not noticed. I just wanted to be like in the background and stuff. So not anymore, but yeah. So it wasn't like hardcore religion, um, but it was just... I felt like I should do it as a Muslim because I used to go to Saturday school and we used to cover and then we took it off and then I was wondering like, you know, I didn't feel comfortable taking it off all the time and I, I guess I was afraid to do it and it was something I wanted to overcome. 
And at first you wore it, there was no particular reaction to it. Yeah. At what point did things start to change for you? Around 7-7. Seven, seven. Really? Um, yeah. That's when you were like, oh, you're Muslim. Why do you think your mother and your grandmother don't cover? Well, my mum used to say when I started wearing it, she would say, like, why are you wearing that? People are going to think you're going to blow up the bus. <laughs> so, so I kind of wanted to prove her wrong and, you know, show her that people don't think that. But, yeah. When... <laughs> <laughs> and then people started thinking so, so that. So listen to your parents. Listen to your parents. <laughs> when your mother came over, was there a... Well, actually, your, my grandmother came over, did she? My, your mother was born here? My, my grandmother's white, so <laughs> my dad came over. So, yeah, so my dad came over and they would have encouraged us to be a bit more westernised because I guess they were really grateful for the opportunity to kind of be in the society and, and for their passports. And um, because I already have my passport, I didn't care about it as much. <laughs> <laughs> But I saw it as a British thing because there was a lot of tolerance towards it. The way I look at it is that if there was a problem, then they, maybe they should have told me all those years ago when I started wearing it, rather than now deciding and doing a massive U-turn. It doesn't fit with our grand plan anymore, so take it off. Once it's already part of your identity as you see yourself. As a stand-up, I think whenever anyone's got, when you're in that situation on stage, so do you in your stand-up, like reference yes. that you wear and can you envisage a time or would you like to envisage a time where it's something that's just there it's part of you and what you wear that you don't need to explain once we've sorted out what's happening in Syria what about Brexit like I think um, it kind of reinforces it, I, there's a lot of racists who I think it's helped because I think it justifies how they feel and yeah. it gives them a voice. But they're just not open to dialogue, so it's like there's a lot of people like ripping off women's hijabs. I don't know what they think that's going to achieve. And um, if they have questions, they're more than welcome to just come and ask rather yeah. than just put their hands on people. You said to me before that um, when you were growing up, it was Blair's Britain and multiculturalism. Yep. Do you feel like that's been taken away now? that period of it is British to be multicultural. Yeah, I don't think that's how anyone feels at the moment following Brexit. I think it's like a beautiful ideal, but we're very far from that. If you had your time over again, would you wear the scarf? Would you wear no, the scarf? because like when I wore it, um, it was accepted and uh, I didn't sign up for all the baggage that it comes along with now and I can just deal with that. that like, you know. So what stops you taking it off? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah. I do sometimes when I sleep with... Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> what stops me taking it off? Because I think it's like... Um, I think you should take it off for the right reasons and I shouldn't take it off just to please people. Um, And I don't think anyone would respect me if um, I took it off just to fit in and I think it would be hard to respect myself. So it's just a bit of a shame that, you know, some people, like the extremists, who seek pleasure from the idea of someone just breaking this little covenant that they've made with themselves. And it's just a personal thing. It's just I feel like I've grown more tolerant in it because I accept other people's things far more than I used to. Do you always feel the pressure from white British people or do you ever feel pressure from Asian British people to take the scarf off? I think like there's pressure from everybody, to be honest with you, because I think we're always letting somebody down. And sometimes I think the burqa ban is more than that. It's a ban on us. I think it's, we're a bit of a disappointment to Asians, I think, because I think they're trying so hard to assimilate and then we're such a visual uh, reminder to everybody that we are actually different. I think that the important thing is that we're not generalised, like we're always, minorities are always generalised and like whoever the, the it guy is, it must all be the same reason. But I think mm. everyone's different. Everyone's reason is personal and it changes. Sometimes I'm happy in it, sometimes I'm not. I change colours quite a lot. Lot, like you know just I don't know about you Jess but I feel like I do make choices like lipstick for me 
that's a choice. If I want to feel good and I go out, I put on some lipstick and it's a nice thing to adorn myself with. But it is my choice in the context of a patriarchal society where women need to be adorned and men don't. So if I were to start a new island, a Western island from scratch and start the rules all over again, I would want to start a society in which both men and women had equal choice to adorn themselves with lipstick. Or and, any adornment. Yeah, no, lipstick is an example, not just lipstick. This would be an across-the-board <laughs> situation. But what I would love to be in is a society in which women are free to adorn themselves, not adorn themselves. Be hairy. Be hairy, <laughs> which is a very key point for Jess Foster Q on her island. On Jess Foster Q Island, hairy will be a big deal. I can sense Everyone. that. Everyone. Just imagine the time you'd save. <laughs> that you could be reading. If you had to start an island from your culture and your religion all over again, from scratch, would women cover and men not? What I've learned is what you look like or what you wear doesn't matter. I don't like rules, so I think it would be up to them. But I'm not very good at this fantasy island thing, I'm sorry. My... (laughs) What's your first disc? My fantasy island is me and five guys and... If you go somewhere where there's face coverings or yeah. you know people with face coverings, is there a line that's too far for you, is what I'm asking? I wouldn't want to wear it, but like I've spoken to ladies in it and they're very happy, so why would I want to take that just because I'm not comfortable with it? They're happy in it, so let them be happy, right? But if they aren't happy in it, if there are places where they aren't happy in it, do you have just as much of a problem with women being told to put clothes on as yeah, take it off? Yeah, I don't think that anyone should be made to do um, you know, something. And I think there's a lot of educational piece that needs to be done because unfortunately sometimes those women that's the environment and the culture that they've grown so accustomed to so they can't see anything different and so that's where we need to kind of help them and and see you don't need to cover your face if, if you know you're beautiful you don't have to if you don't want to what makes you feel comfortable with your face covered do you think um, you don't have to wear makeup. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I just think it's a part of their faith. There's a verse in the Quran which uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that women should be covered except for this and this. And then some people interpret that to be the face that can be unveiled. Some people interpret it just the eyes. So it's just how you interpret that. On your fantasy island, men or women would be able to cover whichever parts of their body they felt. Men less, <laughs> men covering less. Men would Would there be on um, on this hairy fantasy island, which I'm worried, Sadie, that you only don't like because I've just created an image of a small jetty covered in yetis. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah. there's a variety of different things where you could cover everything except your cock and balls. This is turning apart, out to be a very exciting island. Apart from Friday nights, yeah. Yeah, no, just that Friday nights where you cover your genitals. Just, just, give, Friday. just give them a break. Um, Dress down Friday. <laughs> Questions from the audience. I think we should have one. Yes. Um, as someone with a number of invisible disabilities, I was really interested in what you were saying about having to dress up. Whereas I feel, in order to get help and to get support, I have to dress down. I have to dress like I'm disabled for people to believe me because I don't have disabilities that people can see. So when I'm going for benefit assessments, you see people going in their pajamas, or I actively Just would be happy. <laughs> I actively was wearing leggings or something without buttons because you have to prove that you can't necessarily do up buttons and how do you tackle that when you have something that you can't see and in order for someone to believe you you have to not have pride in your appearance yeah i mean i I think even with visible disabilities my sister's got cerebral palsy and she uses a wheelchair completely non-ambulant and i think there is this kind of just so much fucking work to be done about perception of disability and empowerment. We need to get to a point where there's this complex thing of not being like saying people with disabilities that they have to be really kind of like, it's great to be disabled. Um, It's that, but there's also this thing of like, I'm not this weak and needy person. For example, the amazing work that the growing interest in the Paralympics and that kind of thing, and the people that watched, I watched all of it. If you watch all of that, you realise that not all disability are visibly noticeable. Like, it's just a massive amount of education still to be done in terms of what there is that people have got out of this. We take a question here in the second row, Tom. 
So my family is Muslim as well, and I find that I have to hide a lot of my views from them because they don't mm -hmm. accept it culturally. Um, they don't know I'm a comedian. <laughs> they really don't know. Sorry, continue. They don't know that I'm wearing a dress right now. They're not okay with that. <gasps> That's so cool. Well done. How do you deal with the conflict of being a feminist and then having people in your family who don't necessarily support those views? They're like, they're not anti-feminist. It's just, yeah, I think we're more liberal than normal kind of families. But... I think it is a bit of a conflict when we're trying to like have such a modern life and we have to hold back and how do you feel about like not telling them stuff because I think that's the thing I find the hardest like I couldn't tell my parents stuff well it's not my parents my parents are amazing and are feminists as well it's yeah. my grandparents oh. it's my dad's extended family okay so they don't understand and they don't know that we drink and stuff like that yeah I just think that actions will speak louder than words, so I think just keep doing what you're doing. And I think they will come around eventually. The thing is, my parents are, don't let me because they don't want to be banished from the family. Oh, they still? They're on the banishment? My dad is still, still terrified of his parents. <laughs> okay. I don't know. How do you feel like your relationship is with your grandparents? It's not really there. So then it's not that important, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just, could we just take one more question from here? Would you have a question? Maddie, was it you? Um, hi. So um, I go to a school with a really strict dress code, and we tried to challenge this by protesting and got uh, the threat of disciplinary action. Now, as like intelligent women, I wondered if you had any suggestions on ways to challenge dress codes and you know being told what to wear without seeming inflammatory or purposefully difficult. I would like you to seem inflammatory. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, number one, don't worry about being either of those things. I think that sometimes there's an argument, isn't there, in a school environment for um, having uniforms so that you don't have any indication of wealth and stuff like that. And I think that's potentially a good argument in favour of it. But ultimately, I think with any rule like that, we're being told what to wear. If enough people break that rule, it can't be enforced. <laughs> the, the advice of Jess Foster Q is not necessarily legally binding. <laughs> doesn't uh, reflect the advice of the guilty feminist, but bye now. Um, no, uh, what is the uniform they're trying to force you into? So, um, girls aren't allowed to show their shoulders. Boys are. What? Girls boys? The... How many boys are going to school they're showing their shoulders? Like, so there was wearing, a boy like, a who came top. in wearing a tank top with a naked woman on and didn't get in any trouble. But if I wear, if I show my shoulders, I'll get in trouble. Girls under the age of 16 aren't allowed to show their ankles. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Under the age of 16. School in 1834. <laughs> you think, you? Are you going to school in the Handmaid's Tale? Very <laughs> <laughs> <Well, Pretty> much. <laughs> we should tweet the school. Yes. Yes. Uh, Maddie's mum, do you want that? Well, I'm no longer chair of government, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey. All right. Uh, so, what's the school? Samuel at Fred Academy. Samuel oh Whitfred, <laughs> named after a man. Oh, God. <laughs> Might as well be called Patriarchy Secondary School. <laughs> the Samuel Whitbread Academy. Oh, God. Uh, do you actually want us to do this, Maddie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, does it have a? Tw I doubt, doubt it has a Twitter. Does yeah, it? Twitter. Do you? Do you have a Twitter? <laughs> is it? What is it? At Samuel Whitbread. I would say yes. I think it's. Well, SWA. Oh, we'll tweet you. Yeah, okay, you tweet the guilty feminist at guilt fempod and then we'll tweet everybody and then we'll just very we must send not trolling respectful. I know you all will, but just to be clear, respectful tweets with only polite language in that just say we feel that this gendered rules around uniforms is unfair and we as a movement of people would all like to support. That's not 140 characters what I'm saying. But... <laughs> Sadia, do you have anything to plug? Anything you'd like to, anything you're doing? You can, you can follow me on Twitter and I update on there. It's Sadia underscore hijab. No, I'm joking. It's Sadia. <laughs> Sadia underscore asmats underscore. 
I have a plural at the end of my name, but there's only one of me, so I'll repeat it, Isadia underscore Azmats underscore. And also you were in the Sunday Times style supplement yesterday. Oh. There was a big feature on you. Was I, what was I wearing? Oh, no, 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 we don't have time for that. Okay. Uh, Jess Foster Q. I regularly host the comedy club on Radio 4 Extra, and you can download all of the interviews I've ever done on that on my website. Oh, so that's that, nice. The rest of it is not podcastable or anything, but um, some really interesting people I've been lucky enough to interview for that and also please follow me on twitter at jessica foster q f-o-s-t-e-k-w follow the guilty feminist on twitter at guilt fempod check out our instagram instagram.com forward slash the guilty feminist join our facebook group sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released and please go to itunes and give a five star review or as many stars as five. you think it's worth as many stars or maybe five <laughs> subscribe it helps other people find the podcast please put your hands together and give a very big thank you to our wonderful guest Sadia Azmat and my lovely co-host Jessica Postecoe and the amazing Deborah Francis White you have been listening to the guilty feminist Didn't get to say that you'd like to say that you want to be in the edit. Anything you didn't get to say, Sadie, about the scuffle? No. I just suddenly thought I didn't give any free range time for you just to go. This is what I'm most. I hate want to say. ISIS. That's a bad. <laughs> Good to know. What, what a note to close on. Hello, guilty feminists. It's Deborah. I wanted to tell you about our leadership day. It's going to be on May 22nd in London at King's Place. You can find out more about it at guiltyfeminist.com. If you come along, you will get to work with me in the morning. Then we're going to do some breakout sessions and we're going to have a very special episode of The Guilty Feminist live with Suzanne Williams, who is a negotiation expert who for many years worked for MI5. I would love to have you all there. It's £195, which hopefully you can get your work to sponsor you to come. Uh, But we also do have £10 places and we're trying to fund more £10 places all the time. So please write in if you need one of those. If you can afford to pay, please do. And if you can afford to chip in a little bit more to help other feminists come, that would be great too, because it's very expensive to hire the venue and all the other trainers that are going to come. Thank you so much. Hope to see so many more of you there. And also... We're planning more workshops around the country, so we hope you can all include yourself sometime later in the year. Thanks very much. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com